We thank you for the privilege, oh God, of just coming into your presence this evening um, to fellowship with you, to listen to what you have to say, to study your word, and even just to fellowship with each other. And Lord, we just ask that this evening, this Bible study be all about you. Holy Spirit, we invite you in. We ask that you teach us. We ask that you open up our hearts to receive your word. And Lord, let us leave this Bible study changed. Let us leave transformed. Let us leave, oh God, more and more and more like you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Good evening, everyone. God bless you all. Um, to my in-house audience, thank you for braving the, the raining weather of New Jersey uh, to be here tonight. Today was such an in interesting day. Uh, <laughs> raining, raining. I had a lot of uh, people cancel appointments today but just because of the rain. So uh, thank you for being here today. I know it's a sacrifice, and I'm sure by God's grace you'll be blessed in Jesus' name. And for those joining us online also, thank you for joining. Um, of course, share the link if you're at home. Um, don't just make it a time where you're distracted and doing like 15 different things at a time. Try to make it a time of focused Bible study so that it can be impactful for you and your family. Okay, so this evening, um, we are on the last day of the Rediscovering Discipleship series. Um, our lead pastor, Pastor Jide Lowry, here in Agape House of Worship, has taken us through um, a seven-part series, actually started from retreat on discipleship, and we even returned from the retreat we had in July to continue the series for the past seven weeks, and today is the last day. Um, today, we are focusing in on growing in discipleship. So in the past six weeks, we've uh, studied who a disciple is. We've talked about what Jesus' requirements for discipleship is. We've talked about the difference between church membership and discipleship and what that means for us personally. Uh, we did two series on the marks of the disciple. And last week, we talked about discipleship and the Great Commission. And this week, we're topping it all up by discussing um, the part seven of the series, which is growing discipleship. I mean, one of the things that we learned over and over and over again in the past six weeks and even in retreats is that a disciple is a lifelong learner, right? Someone who is committed to study um, someone, to grow and to learn from them. So that's why this particular part of the Bible study series is really, really important. I mean, come to think of it, think about an earthly father. I mean, some of you have um, children here in the room. Some of you watching on my have children. Those of you who don't, you have siblings. You have somebody that you know and that you've watched as a child. Can you imagine um, after two months, they just refuse to grow, right? They're just staying the exact same way, drinking the same milk or formula. In fact, what growth is so important that when you go to your pediatrician visits, when you take your child to the pediatrician visit, at that newborn stage, all they're measuring is markers or indicators of growth. They're looking at how much does the baby weigh, okay? They're looking at the height of the child. They're looking at the head circumference, yeah? And when they do that, they do what we call, they plot it on a graph. And that graph is showing, compared to the rest of the population, 
among children this similar age, what curve does your child fall in? Are they in the 50th percentile, 60th percentile, 90th percentile? Um, recently took my youngest son, Nolan, who's four months old, for um, his, his checkup. And my husband, I was there virtually. My husband was physically present. And they had told me, oh, I think, no, this was with Nathan, my oldest son, that his head was in the 90th percentile um, for, for his age. And I turned to my husband, like, that's from your family. That's really too, everyone has a big head. Big, uh, everyone has a big head in that family. So I'm just kidding, but I just wanted to emphasize um, how important growth is in every phase of life. It's so important that um, even in the natural realm, when some, something is supposed to be growing, we have goals, we have measures, we have marks. So we're measuring a particular item, a child, a thing, whatever that, or a progress or a career, whatever that aspect of our life is to make sure that it is growing and it's not being stagnant. So in the same way, um, God really desires every one of his children to grow, Okay. Um, he desires that in order for us to really achieve the fullness of what he has for us, we can't just be the same way we were yesterday. Every day we must make a commitment to grow and actually intentionally um, do the things that will help us to grow in Christ and to grow in discipleship and in our work with him. And so that's basically the overarching theme of our study today. Um, to start off with, can someone read our main text which is Ephesians 4, verse 14 to 15. And you can read it in the NLT version if you have that. If not, whatever version is fine also. So Ephesians 4, verse 14 to 15. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. Amen. Thank you, Sister Tokes, for that reading. So, and we'll talk about benefits of growth or why it's so important to grow. But just from this scripture, you can see that what happens when you're immature, when you're not growing as a disciple, right? Anything, you're easily shaken. Any any difficulty in your marriage, difficulty in your finances, any sudden loss of something that you didn't expect to lose, basically whatever curve life throws at you, what happens? You're tossed around like the wind. And only that you're prone to not being able to decipher the truth. And when uh, people come with lies, when people come with tricks, when the enemy comes with deception, you're more likely to fall because you were never grounded and rooted in the first place because you have not committed to what we are supposed to commit to as a disciple, which is a life of long-term learning. So our goal in growing is we have to be more and more like Christ, who is the head of the body, the church. So I'll start off with a question before we talk a little bit more about growth and discipleship. So when we talk about growth in general, I use the example of my son at home. But what does growth mean to you? And you don't have to put a spiritual angle to it. It's okay if you do. But when you think about growth, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Anybody? Thank you. You can go ahead and then pass to Hubie. I'm so sorry. I totally missed the first thing you said. Sorry. Do you mind repeating it for me? Do you have any potential for growing God and 
Okay, perfect. Thank you. So you, he said, for those who didn't hear him, growth means to have impartation, you said, study scriptures and the word of the Lord. Awesome. So spiritual growth definitely involves all of that and some more. Um, Pastor Hubie, you had something you wanted to say regarding growth? As it pertains to the physical body, mm-hmm. physiologically, it's an indication mm-hmm. or indicative of health, of a healthy body. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. So in every living thing should grow to continue to exist. That's a sign that something has life when it's growing. So thinking about the... So when you see people who are not growing, what happens? Their muscles begin to wither away. You see that, in fact, they become... If you've ever seen someone who's malnourished, you can see changes in their eyes. You can see sometimes distension in a very thin body. The way they think is different, all because they have stopped growing because their body doesn't necessarily have the natural, the requirements and the nutrients that they need to grow. So thank you for bringing that up in terms of what growth looks like in the physical. Any other person with a definition or an illustration to paint a picture of growth in our heads? What does growth mean to you? I like the Webster's uh, Dictionary. Okay. And it puts it like this. It says uh, progressive development Mm. and evolution. Mm, I like that. Progressive development and evolution. So not going backward, just forward only, right? So moving forward in steps, that's growth. I like that definition. Progressive development and evolution. Any other thoughts? What does growth mean to you? That was Webster's Dictionary. Before we used to actually have to carry those of us who are not from people who were Generation Z and, and everything after. Before then, we used to have to carry dictionaries and it was so thick. When we played Scrabble, we always have to have dic- dictionaries and we, um, we would open them. But now we just go on our phones and Google and Webster's Dictionary is right there. Um, what does group mean to you? Any other thoughts? Anybody online can also chime in too. What, what does group mean to you? Uh, thank you. Enhancing my perspectives on things. Mm. So seeing things wiser than maybe mm. I previously saw them or bigger than mm. the way I may be. It's like my mind is increasing in capacity mm. to oh, nice. see different perspectives that I didn't maybe see before. Nice. Thank you. I like that. You sound like a very intellectual thinker with that definition. I like it. When you see things differently, you're expanding your capacity and the way you view things. That's what growth means to you. So thank you, everyone. Everyone just really brought in what growth is. I have some definitions that I read here, and I will talk a little bit more about spiritual growth and narrow it down to discipleship. So growth is the process of maturing, right? Yeah, that's what it is. So growth is when something increases in amounts, increases in value, increases in, import, in importance. Um, the process, these are some dic- basic dictionary definitions. Um, the process of developing or increasing in size. Growth is also defined as a gradual development and maturity, um, be it if you're talking in age, in size, in weight, or height. So basically, the developing or maturing. That's a general theme when you're thinking about growth. Um, developing or maturing. Someone also said growth is also maturity, which definitely fits in what we are talking about. So now we're going to come to spiritual growth. Now, when we talk about spiritual growth, what does that mean to you? 
I know my brother already gave his definition earlier on um, about spiritual growth. Any other thoughts? What's the spir- when you talk about spiritual growth, what does that mean to you? What is spiritual growth? What is spiritual maturity? What does growing discipleship look like before we go into some of the things that we have for this study? Apostle Paul. <laughs> to me, uh, growth means increase in the knowledge of God okay. and his word mm-hmm. and our practice of it. Okay. Thank you, Pastor Paul. So increase the knowledge of God, his word, and our practice of it. That's a very, very good definition. Any other thoughts? What does spiritual growth and maturity look like to you? Pastor Hubie looks like he's trying to say something and trying not to say something. <laughs> Just let it out. That's okay. You want to see if somebody else speaks. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> Dami, you can go ahead. Uh, to me, it means not having the same struggles mm. that you used to have. Like okay. If you struggled with um, anger yeah. and you're still having the same level or the same issue you know, mm-hmm. year after year, mm-hmm. um, I think that's an example of, of not growing. So yeah. basically continuing to, to have the same. I'm not saying you can't have, like, I know there people need, like, I guess, deliverance sometimes, and there's there may be some different thoughts on that, but I think just generally you should be, you shouldn't be having the same struggles continuously, hopefully. <laughs> Thanks, Dami. Yeah, so Dami mentioned actually what is a very important indicator of growth. If you're not dealing with the same struggles or the same things you used to do deal with before, you've matured, you've evolved, you've developed, that's one of the uh, good indicators of growth. Um, so spiritual growth, actually, if every, what everyone has said is correct, but a simple way to think about it is just becoming more and more like Jesus Christ, right? And that's literally all that is. 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1. You can quickly turn to it, but it's very short, so I can read it. Paul says there is... Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And really, when we're talking about growing about discipleship, remember, we're all disciples of Christ, right? So our focus in growth or in rediscovering discipleship, growing discipleship, is really becoming more and more and more like Christ. And there are various ways to do this. There are various things that will help us grow. There are indicators of growth we will talk about shortly. But overall, growing discipleship is the daily continuous, never stops, never pauses, always, always leaning into becoming more and more about God. And God will help us in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, So why is growth important, right? (laughs) Um, You can say, oh, listen, uh, Sister Noma, I gave my life to Jesus about one week ago. It's the best thing that's ever happened to me. I'm just soaking it all in but I just want to stay as I am for a second. Just give me a second. Let me just enjoy this moment in this place before you talk to me about anything else. Why do I have to grow? Why can't I just stay in a place where I just know Jesus and, and really accept all he's done for me and just love in him? Why do I need growth? Why, why do we need growth? Because sometimes growth stretches you, right? So everyone might not be so excited at the thought of growth. Growth will involve change in so many different levels. So everyone is not excited about the, the thought of growth. But why is growth so important to us? So Hebrews 12, 5, verse 12 to 14. Can somebody read that if we have that? Anybody can read that. You, ha- you have been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's word. 
You are like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. For someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know how to do what is right. Solid food is for those who are mature, who through training have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. Thank you for that reading. So Paul here is rebuking the church who have refused to grow, right? Probably had the same mindset that I had. Like, listen, you came here, you imparted so much wisdom, so much knowledge in us, and we're just good. Like, I'm, I'm content. Just leave me alone. And Paul is saying, I left you. You're in the same place where I left you 10 years ago when last I visited you. By now, you're supposed to be having fellowships in your home, encouraging each other, strengthening each other. I need to see your fruit. You're supposed to be world changers. But nothing has happened since the last time I left you. You're still drinking milk. I mean, milk is good, but meat is better. Sorry if we have vegetarians in here, but really meat is way better than milk. Uh, My son is at the phase where he's transitioning from liking mostly milk to more solid food. And little babies at that age, once they taste solid food, they're, they're really all about the solid food. Their palates can see that this is actually better. So Paul is saying, what is wrong with you? Why are you still drinking milk, right? So growth is so important, not just because God commanded us to grow and to be fruitful and to multiply, but spiritual growth actually pleases God. Spiritual growth glorifies him. Spiritual growth is needed because it fathers the gospel and the kingdom of God. If we look at, I want us to quickly look at two scriptures, um, Colossians 1 verse 9 to 10. Someone can quickly read that and John 15 verse 8. So Colossians 1 verse 9 to 10 and John 15 verse 8. And any translation is fine. Colossians 1, 9 to 10. So we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord, and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. Thank you for that reading, Dami. So a couple of things you can see in this verse. Growth is associated with honoring and pleasing God. Growth is associated with bearing good fruit, and it's something that is a God-given mandate that we have. Um, John 15, verse 8, um, I'll quickly read it. It says, when you produce much fruit, you are my disciples, and this brings great glory to my Father. So spiritual growth pleases God, and it's needed to advance the gospel and to leave out the fulfillment of what God has called us to do. Ephesians 2 verse 10, it says, we are God's masterpiece, right? Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he has long prepared for us to do. You can, if you think about as a parent, as a, as a brother, as an elder brother, as an elder sister, you don't give a baby car keys to drive, no? Right, because you know that what they're going to do with those car keys is they're going to wreck your car, you're going to have total your car, they might even be injured in the process themselves, and all the outcomes are just bad anyway. But you wait for them to mature, you wait for them to grow, you wait for them to prove to, to you that they know how to drive that car, and they are responsible enough to know what they should do when driving, such as not texting and driving, obeying the rules of the road, looking at both sides and everything they need to do. And that's uh, it's similar when you think about things from, from the kingdom. There are things that cannot be released in our lives if we choose to stay at the same level that we were yesterday. 
There are things in our lives as children of God that are not unlocked. There are doors that are not unlocked and opened if we don't choose to actively grow, if we don't make a commitment to grow in discipleship. So spiritual growth is so important. And something else about spiritual growth as we talk about growing discipleship, in the process of that, we recognize a complete dependence on God and we learn to rely on him and not ourselves. So as we grow and we mature in our relationship with him, we realize how much we need, we need him. So again, like I said, growth is required to be a fruit. Growth pleases God. It glorifies him. It furthers his kingdom and the gospel. Growth is needed to attain the full measure of our purpose on earth. And growth is needed to do good works. Amen. Amen. So, um, and if anybody has any questions about anything, in addition to me asking questions, feel free to raise up your hand if you have a question. And those online, feel free to tap your question in, in, the, in the chat. So we'll move on to the next section as we talk about um, growth and discipleship, growing and discipleship. How do we measure growth, right? How do I know that I'm not the same person I was yesterday? Um, how do I know? I can say that I'm making a personal commitment to growing discipleship on a day-to-day basis, but what's the evidence of that? How do I hold myself accountable? How do I let people hold me accountable? So how do we measure growth? So active spiritual growth, growth in discipleship is usually very, very visible. This is not one of those things that you say is just only between me and God, right? I know we, uh, it's only God who can see the, the heart of a person and who really searches their hearts and knows their hearts within, but there are fruits and there are evidence of growth that everyone around you can see. People who come around you can see. There are several things that make this growth evident. So how do we know that we're growing? How can you tell, hey, you can tell your brother or sister, listen, I don't think you're growing. Let's do X, Y, Z. Like, what are some of the things that we look at? So I have some um, answers here. I have about, what, four answers here. But anyone thinking of anything, five answers here, other than what we have listed, and we'll go through the things we have listed in our handouts shortly. So how do you know that you're growing? First of all, the question is, are you spiritually growing? Are you growing discipleship or remaining stagnant? Or you're here so you can, you can change your ways and make a commitment to grow and pursue growth. And that's totally fine if that's where you are. But if your answer is yes, that you're growing, or maybe I think I'm growing, I'm not sure. What's the evidence that you're growing? I think Dami had mentioned her own um, example when she said, when some things I used to do before, I used to react a certain way, I no longer do that, and that's a visible change that she noticed. Any other thoughts on how you know that you're actually growing? So kids, when they want to see if they're growing, it's simple. They measure their height, they measure their weight, they look at physical things, uh, you see how much muscle that's on their skin. How do you know that you are growing? Oh, we never thought to measure our, our, our growth. <laughs> you think it's only Jesus who cares about our, your growth. No, you need to measure your growth so you have a, an assessment of where you are. How do we measure growth? So I'll start from the first one I have here, and people can chime in as we go ahead. So it's self-awareness, right? So, and this is sort of alluding to what our sister had mentioned earlier on. So are you the same person that you were two years ago, a year ago? Are you the same person you were before you met Jesus, or are you becoming more and more like Christ? So I know I'm growing if 
before I met Christ or even after I met Christ initially, when someone cuffs me off on the highway, um, I might have a few not so pleasant words to say to that person. And now people can cut me off on the highway and it's like nothing ever happened. They can flip a finger at me and it's like nothing ever happened. I smile and look away, right? That's a sign of growth, right? I know I'm growing if someone can um, hurt me and my immediate reaction is not to give hurt back, right? It's not, oh, you came and you just hit me and my knee-jerk reaction is to just hit you back. That's, that's, that's not me anymore. So if you used to do that, you don't do that anymore. You know you're growing. So there are things you can check in yourself in the way you used to think, the things you used to do, how you used to react in situations you used to do before, you never did anymore. That's a sign that in that aspect of your life, you are growing. And I'll come to the most important one as the third one. Um, some people are not great at looking at themselves and seeing their own traits and attributes or the things that they do, right? So that's why having here awareness from people close to you, from your spouse, from your family, from people who disciple you, from mentors, um, sometimes from your children or anyone close to you, basically, they can notice some things about you and you're like, oh, wow, that's true. I'll give you my own, um, <laughs> my own self-reflective moment. So for the longest time, I always thought that I had similar personality, personality traits as my mom. I don't know why I thought that. Maybe because I look a little bit like her or people have always told me my whole life that I look like my mother. And then my husband one day told me, um, babe, um, I don't know what we were talking about. And somehow in between the conversation, I said, no, babe. You're similar more in you're your own person, but you're similar more in person to your dad than your mom. I was taken aback. I was like, no, 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 no. It can be, can be. I'm similar to my mom than my. And we went on. We're arguing. That was like our argument for the night. We're back and forth. Like, no, what do you mean? I was like, I know you, babe. It's like, I know, but I know me before you knew me. So, like, I'm right. Like, this is. I am more similar in personality. To my, to my mom, and he's insisting my dad. And so we, we're not getting anywhere with the argument, so I did, my family has a group FaceTime thing, so I, it was like in the evening, it wasn't any acceptable time, but I click it anyway because I'm like, I have to resolve this issue. And I call everybody on FaceTime, everyone answered but my dad, and I'm like, mom, mommy, I'm similar in personality to you, right? She was like, hmm, no, sweetheart, I don't think so. I was like, whoa. <laughs> I asked my, dad, my brother, who was also on the FaceTime video, Dave, are you serious? I'm not similar to mom than dad in personality traits. He's like, uh-uh. How can you even think that? You're way more similar to dad. I was so shocked all my life. Like when I talk about personality traits and in my family and who sort of I came or I'm closer to, I've always said it was my mom. But after everyone in my family said it was my dad and not my mom, I went back to do a little bit of self-reflection. I'm like, hmm, okay, I guess I just look like my mom, but in general, I'm more similar to my dad. I probably react the same way. I have the same kind of, the same kind of mannerism somewhat, like more to my dad than my mom. So I use an example as how sometimes you, you go for years and years and years, decades, thinking a thing about yourself, and it takes someone who is super close to you, even if it's for two or three years, and they're really highlighting things you didn't really know about yourself. So definitely people close to you, mentors, family members, um, can definitely tell you if you have grown, especially in particular areas. Um, one more from anybody in the audience or online before I move on with what we have in our handout. I have someone at the back who wants to say something. So I agree with um, a lot of the points you brought out. So for me, I think self-awareness is definitely number one. Mm -hmm. um, you have to be self-aware 
Um, and then also having the actual desire to want to know more and actually be like Christ. Mm. And then for, you know, many people, you may have the knowledge, um, but something that you brought out that was important was actually stretching yourself. Mm-hmm. That's the part where a lot of us struggle with. Yeah. And then, but a scripture came to mind in Hebrews 6 verse 1 where it says, let us stop going over the basic teachings about mm-hmm. Christ again and mm-hmm. again. Mm-hmm. Let us go on instead and become mature in our understanding. So really pushing yourself. Um, but I, I really feel like it first starts off with being self-aware, self-awareness. having the desire. Then you start stretching yourself, putting in the work. And like you said, you can actually ask people around you who are close. Yeah. You know, they may tell you even without you asking, like, oh, I mm-hmm. noticed you don't behave a certain way. You don't speak a certain way. You don't react a certain way. So... Those are the things that you could measure against. Awesome. Thank you so much for that well-rounded answer. Um, I'll read some of the comments and contributions that we have online. Uh, so Pastor Yewane says, when I'm able to forgive someone that hurts me, um, no matter the severity of the offense, that's so important in growth. Um, we did uh, a series recently on forgiveness. Um, someone else said, our actions, thought process, relationship or intimacy with Christ and our service all these things in some way also show our growth. Um, Sister Tommy, increase in desire for God and the things of God can be a marker for spiritual growth. And um, Brother Tunde said, are we bearing the fruits of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's so important. That's actually my fourth and my most important one. Um, I said response to situations also. Um, I sort of explained that already as we went on. So we'll just move on to the fruits of the Spirit, which is so important. So Galatians 5, verse 23, verse 22 to 23. Can someone read that for us, please? The fruits of the Spirit. Galatians 5, verse 22 to 23. Sister Tox is thinking about if she should read or not. It's okay. I know you've read before. Next time I'll call someone who hasn't read. No, you can read, actually. You can go ahead. Next time someone else who hasn't read will read the next one. Maybe I'll just call on names for the next one. But Galatians 5, verse 22 to 23. This uh, passage of scripture is commonly termed um, the fruits of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Amen. So the fruits of the Spirit is a very, very important marker that we can use as a measurement of growth. And so each fruit, you can talk about them one by one. In situations where someone hurt me, am I showing more love? Or am I still dishing out the measure of love I would have 10 years ago? Um, is there more joy in my life? Am I more joyful despite situations where 10 years ago it would have caused me to be depressed? But instead, did I respond with a joy that knows no bounds? Do I have peace? Does peace exist more in my life? Am I more patient? You might not be able to answer if you're more patient, but ask someone around you. Ask your spouse if you're married. They will tell you if you're really more patient. Are you more kind, right? Especially to people who don't deserve it. Are you more generous? Have you grown in generosity? Have you grown in your faithfulness and stewarding that that has been assigned to you? Have you grown in your gentleness? Have you grown in your ability to exercise self-control? All these fruits of the spirits are all 
things we can use as measures or indications or indicators of growth. Amen. Um, and then John 13, verse 34. I'll quickly read it if I get there first. If not, somebody else can read it, and then we'll move on um, to the core part of the study today. John 13, verse 34. So I'll read it quickly. So now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. And I put that scripture here um, in concordance to talking about the, the fruits of the spirit. Like the more when you are able to show love for your fellow brother and sister, even in ways that makes no sense. When you grow in your ability to do so, that's a measure, that's a fruit that you're growing. And when you're, if you think about a sign that a tree is growing, right, if you think in the natural, is when it's producing fruit. When a tree that's supposed to produce fruit is not producing fruit, what do you think about that tree? That tree is withering, that tree is dying. So an evidence in our life as Christians, as disciples of Christ, that we are growing is if we are producing fruit and more and more and more fruit, Okay. Um, another one I have here is you make better choices, right? So the more you grow, the, align the closer your alignments between God's will and what you actually naturally desire for. So you're basically your taste and your appetite changes when you grow. When you grow in discipleship, your things you pray about begins to change. You are now beginning to be concerned about praying more so the will of the Father than anything else, right? So you, and then you begin to make better choices in general. Um, Colossians 3, verse 1 to 2. You can read it later um, in the interest of time. And the final thing I have here is our willingness to live for the audience of one. And I put it down in a dramatic form, but the simpleness behind that is basically to say our willingness to follow and obey Christ at any cost, right? So not only when it's convenient, right? Um, Jesus says in John 14, verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So one of the natural expectations and one of the natural things you see in a Christian that is committed to discipleship is that um, they are faithful to obey the commands of God, not just out of duty, but more so as a response because of our love for him. So our obedience results from what Jesus has done for us and because of our love for him. And so our willingness to obey him despite any cost is something that you see in a mature Christian or a Christian that is growing in discipleship. Amen. Okay, so we, only have, we have about 25 minutes left, which is good um, enough. So we're going to go through requirements to grow in discipleship. So um, our main text is growing discipleship. We're going to go through some of, I mean, these requirements are not all inclusive of itself. Those are just some of the ones that I have listed down here. And if we come up with some more, even as we discuss this part of the text, that's good. But uh, just as basic ones are a good real foundation to start off with. So the first thing is the commitment to grow, right? You can't, growth is not something that happens unintentionally. Growth and discipleship happens because you've decided and you've made a commitment that I need to grow. I honor God when I grow. I live out my Christian purpose and my Christian life when I grow. And so I need to commit myself to growth. So you must want to grow. You have to decide to grow. You must make an effort to grow and you have to persist in growing. Growth takes time. And it takes intentionality. Those are the two things. 
Growth very rarely happens accidentally. You must be very intentional about growth. So regardless of any level anybody is here now, anybody who is watching online, who watches this later on, there is way more to God than whatever level that you are in. Um, when we, for those people who have done any training with uh, Randy Clack Ministries, um, either the, the, the course healing course or the prophetic or the deliverance course, one of the favorite prayers in that setting to pray is more, Lord. And, and it's really an acknowledgement is that, Lord, I, I see what you're doing. I bless it, but I want more. There is always more to God than whatever stage, whatever. Think about the person who you think is the closest person that has ever walked with God, that has ever walked the face of this earth in your mind. Whatever spiritual hero, giant that you have up there, there is even way more to God than that. So you have to commit yourself to grow. Um, we can read any one of those two scriptures. Let's read First Timothy 4 verse 7. So I'll read it. Uh, no, no, my sister here is going to read it right here. There you go. First Timothy 4 verse 7. Yes. Um, Do not waste time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tales. Instead, train yourself to be godly. Thank you. Yeah. So the scripture points out that there's some work on your part to do, right? <laughs> in terms of being godly. It's not just a one time I accepted Jesus into my life. I wake up in the morning, I read my Bible, automatically godliness will fall on me. No, there is some training you have to do. There is some commitment you have to do um, to desire to grow um, in discipleship. Okay, so we'll move on in the interest of time. So communion with God. So this involves regular daily practice of worship, spending time in the presence of God, reading the word of God, meditating, reflecting on the word, listening to God's voice, prayer, and relationship with the Holy Spirit. So it's impossible to, to grow as a disciple without spending time with the person you want to be like, right? Um, if you think about whatever best friend that you have, your closest friend, your spouse, your significant other, your parent, your sibling, um, you know them more when you spend time with them. It's just as simple as that, uh, right? You become more, more like them, actually, when you spend time with them. If you notice, you begin to sound like them. You use the same slangs. I want to, back in the day, I used to enjoy watching this married couple games. And it's interesting to see that one person is like completing the other person's sentence after 35 years of marriage. Like you can just, they can just open their mouth to speak and you already know what the other person is going to say. They spend so much time together that it's just a natural occurrence that you become more and more like that person. So we can't talk about growth and discipleship without intentionally making that are daily practice. And it's not just when you feel like or when it's convenient for you or, you, or just more so like a checklist or whatever, whatever it is for you, but you have to be intentional about spending time in his presence and relationship with the Holy Spirit. Uh, Luke 5, verse 16, um, and I'll read it quickly. It says, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. When I read the scripture, I'm like, if Jesus is redrawing to pray, 
and to spend and to fellowship with the talk to the Father and to fellowship with the Spirit. What about a mere human like me? I, I, have, no, I have no hope if I don't do the same, right? So if Jesus recognized the need for prayer, the need for communion, the need for listening to the Father to only do what he sees him do and say what he hears him say, what, where, where, where do we stand? How much so, how much so we? Uh, so we have to know that really our commitment to growth really cannot happen um, without our communion with God. Um, so First Thessalonians 5 verse 17 says pray without season. Ephesians 6 verse 18 um, says pray at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. So prayer, worship, reading the word of God, listening for his voice, having a relationship with the Holy Spirit, and spending time in his presence. So the third one I have is, and this is so important, um, fellowship with a small group or community that desires to grow. Acts 2, verse 44 to 46. Can someone read that quickly? And after that, someone else can read Acts 12, verse 12 to 17. This is the early church, right? Um, the book of Acts, it's an awesome book because it models, um, it models a lot of realities of what our Christian everyday living should look like. It's an example of the early church and what our church in some way actually, in most ways actually should be. So can someone read that? So let's see some characteristics of the early church. Acts 2 verse 14, 44 to 46. It says, now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. Thank you. Acts 12, verse 12 to 17. Somebody else? Acts 12, verse 12 to 17. Who hasn't read? Uh, Deborah. She's over there. You can give her the mic. Actually, don't, 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 don't worry about that. Okay, never mind. Don't worry. You, you got saved. You read the next scripture. Yeah, so Acts. So the, the, the scriptures in the early church I wanted us to read were basically talked about the, I mean, Hebrews 10, uh, 10 verse 25 talks about not forsaking the gathering of one another. But in, in the early church, what, among the other things, a lot of things made them stand out. So one, of course, the, the famous um, upper room experience where they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak in other th- tongues. Uh, they were bold in sharing the gospel. The persecution also was something that was, you could see in the early church, signs and wonders that happened there midst. But something else that stood out amongst members of the early church was their sense of community, Right. And not just, I mean, we had the, the, the church as a whole, the church of Ephesians, we had uh, the church of Corinthians, we had the big church, but in between that big church, they had smaller groups, they had, each person had a community where they fellowship with one another, they broke bread, they shared a meal, they were able to grow together, they were able to pray together, they were able to encourage each other, and basically they did life together. And I believe this is the model that God really wants to, us to emulate as Christians because, you know, you cannot grow in isolation. It's so, it's impossible. And the way God has designed or wired us as Christians is 
not to be Lone Ranger Christians. We're not supposed to just have a relationship with God just by ourselves and ourselves and ourselves alone. And you cannot even, I mean, the fruits of the Spirit cannot even be tested except you're in communion, right? How do you know that you're more capable of loving someone more than you did yesterday if that love has not been tested? If in a small group or in a small situation, no one in your community or inner circle has hurt you enough that you say, oh, I'm able to forgive you because I'm growing the fruits of the Spirit and I'm able to show love, right? The fruits of the Spirit are tested in community. A disciple is one who intentionally shares their life with other believers. And I'm making a plug-in before I go on as I talk a little bit more about fellowship and how it affects growing as a disciple. I'm making a plug-in for upcoming um, small groups here at Agape House of Worship. Pastor started talking about it on Sunday and it's going to roll out very soon. But if you don't, so if you don't already have I mean, your community of small believers that you fellowship with and you pray together and you grow together doesn't necessarily have to be people who are members, of course, of this church or any church you go to. But in case someone is listening to me and you don't have one, please, please, please don't miss this opportunity to connect because you cannot do life alone. You cannot run this Christian race by yourself. And you need to be in Christian community where you guys come together and you share a common life in Christ. You have to have a group of people where you can call and you guys are pray together. You guys discuss scriptures together. You guys are, you mean using this, this generation, you guys are in a group chat together if needed and you share the scripture and said, I read this this morning. I didn't really understand. I asked the Holy Spirit, but anybody else, what does the scripture mean to you? If you don't have that, you are missing out on some of the important tools that Jesus Christ has given us to grow as a disciple. So Christian community is such a big deal. It's, it's important for happiness, it's important for growth, and it really, I don't think, is an optional part of Christian life. Everyone must have a Christian community. Um, it, it, Christian community moves us beyond the isolation of our private lives and superficial social contacts that we might have, um, even in whatever settings that we've been, and instead we focus on relationship with each other to grow and to mature each other to be more and more like Christ. So when we're in close relationships with other believers, we, we have people who will pray with us. We have people who support us. We have people who encourage us. We have people who exalt us. We have people that will serve alongside with us. We have people who can minister to us, can, they can minister back to us. I mean, and I know that a lot of people have been hurt in such Christian relationships in the past, um, but being the abuse of something is not a good reason not to reap the benefits of that thing, right? So it's totally worth it to, to give this another try and find a community. And if you don't have one already, and even if you have one, please make sure you connect to what is going on or the resources Agape House of Worship will be launching out talking about Christian community. You need to do life with other believers. I can't emphasize this enough. And I have some of the benefits of Christian community I, I, I wrote down here. Um, so Christian community is a way to see Christ in other people. It provides a source of accountability and guidance, okay? Um, and so, and also, even if you think about things like evangelism or whatever service, it explodes with community, right? It, it's contagious when you have a group of people coming together. It's, it's far easier to share your faith when you go two by two or three people as opposed to when you go just by yourself. So community really, really can be helpful and it will enhance or even accelerate our growth and discipleship. So please, um, if you don't take any main thing from this, please, 
one of the things to be committed and dedicated to finding a Christian community in which you can grow. And if you have none, please take advantage of the small groups that will be rolling out soon here in Agape House of Worship. So God uses individuals and in a community to encourage Christ-like behaviors. And one more thing I often think about, say about community. Community also, Christian communities can be very helpful in reconciling relationships, you know. You know, in, in Matthew 18, when Jesus talks about if um, someone sins against you or someone hurts you, you first of all take him to one person, take him to a group of people, and then you bring him in front of the whole church. Basically, you see the purpose of community coming together to help to at least try, attempt to restore that relationship. So, so many, so many, so many benefits of community. I mean, Proverbs 13 verse 20 says, walk with the wise and become wise, right? Iron shackles iron. So one person shackles another so Christian community is necessary. Okay, so I will move on. And please stop me um, if we have questions on Christian community or ways that we can engage in Christian community or why you, if you don't think Christian community is important in your growth and discipleship, let me know and we're, <laughs> we're gonna answer whatever question or concerns that you have. So the next thing is um, become a student. So what does this mean to somebody? I've been talking for so long. Let me pause for a second and hear other people now. When I say becoming a student, is it the same thing as studying the Bible? Is it a little bit more? What do you think about becoming a student? How is this essential? This is essential to your growth and discipleship. Become a student. Okay, my brother over there. To become a student, you have to be a fellowship with God. Okay. Absolutely. Thank you. So becoming a student is fellowship with God. That's very correct. Any other thoughts on that? Becoming a student. How does this help in, in, in your commitment to grow as a disciple? I have uh, Fumbi over here. Being open to correction. Okay, yes, being open to correction when you're a student. Yes, thank you. Any other thoughts on becoming? I have someone at, at your back, David. Okay, yeah, him. Yeah, you can go ahead, Mayo, and then someone at. I was just going to go straight to study to show yourself approved. Yes. Mm hmm. Thank you. That's the scripture there in 2 Timothy 2, verse 15, I believe. Um, any other thoughts on becoming a student? Submitting yourself or willing, willingly learning, I guess. Okay, willingly learning, yes. <laughs> yes, thank you. I mean, so think about someone who um, newly ventures into a new field like someone who is diving into real estate or trading or something to do with whatever is important to us. I use money examples because money happens to be very important to a lot of people here, um, including me. Um, so think about someone who is diving into real estate and has, is planning to invest a huge sum of money. Do you think they just wake up one morning and just write a check and just go into real estate and that's it? No, they spend hours and hours doing what? Studying. What are they doing? They're researching. They're going online, right? They're looking at blogs, courses on real estate. Some of them travel to other cities to attend talks on people who are very successful in real estate, people who have exploded in the field of real estate, who have invested and made money out of it. They spend their time diligently doing that. They read online. They take notes, 
right? They actively commit themselves to say, hey, I'm going to invest in this thing. It's going to cost me a lot if it fails. So I need to study about this, right? And think about any, the same thing about forest trading or whatever trading there is. Think about anything that people find valuable to them. There, People want to open a new business. Do you just wake up one morning and open a new business? You want to open a catering business. Do you just say, oh, I know how to cook. I love to cook. And so I'm just going to start selling food from my basement. I mean, you might start. The business might not go far if you don't take your time to learn about that field, to learn about the food that you're selling, to learn about the market, to learn about what you're going to offer people, how you're going to market things. I think the same way, it's like we think about being a student or studying or intentional learning with everything else, but when it comes to the scripture, it's almost like, ah, no, this doesn't apply. It's the same way here. I mean, other than your fellowship with God and studying the word, you have to intentionally seek to study, 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 study. And when I don't, I don't just mean your personal time is great. It's one of the most important things. I have said that earlier on. But take classes, right? Take courses. Read, read blogs. Read, listen to podcasts. Read books. You say, oh, I don't have time to read. I don't like to read. There are audio books now. There's no excuse. Everyone likes to either read or listen to something. Or watch something. Like, other than the, certain, the Sunday time is spent on Sunday here um, in church, watch other sermons, watch other, listen to other Bible, make sure you're part of Bible study, be intentional about studying. That's the, I mean, people used to say experience is the, is the best teacher. That is so far from the truth. Well, I personally think the Holy Spirit is the best teacher, but other than the Holy Spirit, you can actually learn from other people's experiences. When you don't do that, what, you, what happens is that you, you limit your idea or you're thinking of God to what you have experienced about him alone, as opposed to knowing that God is beyond what I, only I have experienced. What I have experienced is just a measure or just a side of who God is. And other people have experienced God in other ways that you might never get to hear about because you never read about anything else. You never studied anything else outside what you do by yourself. So be intentional about pursuing growth Choose to grow, commit to grow in discipleship, and God will help us in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, Brother Javier said, becoming a student is to be disciplined, learning from your own mistakes. That's very, very true. Um, humility of the heart to learn and unlearn. Yes, that's true. You have to make sure you're not learning the wrong things, right? Some things that you, you thought you were, you were right about 10 years ago, now you've discovered that, ah, maybe not so much, right? I've grown in the way that I, I saw some principles or some doctrines that I thought were doctrines, but they were not necessarily things that I was just taught several years ago that is not necessarily. So yeah, that, that, part of, that, that part of it is, is all growth. Um, so the next one is, uh, you have to have a discipler. So who's a discipler? Someone who is committed to following Jesus that you can submit to for counsel, you can submit to for guidance um, and rebuke as needed. And this person doesn't have to be somebody who is older than you. They could be younger, they could be older, they could be a peer, but the most important thing is they should be ideally someone who is more spiritually mature so they can help you grow in discipleship. And so I'm talking about finding a discipler. I don't want this Bible study to be a session where everybody texts Pastor Gideon, Pastor Bimbo after and say, Minister Noma said I need a discipler. Please can you disciple me? No, I, I think 
the, the process of choosing the disciple, if you've not had one, ideally should be led by the Holy Spirit, right? You take a, take a step back and ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, I really want to grow in my walk with you. I want to grow as a disciple. And I realize I cannot do this on my own. Thank you for instructing and teaching me. But I know that I would also benefit from having someone who would also help me in my walk to become more, more like you. Who do you want who do you, do you want me to disciple me or who should I talk to about discipling me? And you'd be surprised at the names that the Holy Spirit would drop in your mind. And most of the time, over 99.9% of the time, I'm pretty sure it's not PJ and PB. So don't, 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 I think leave them there. They have other, um, <laughs> they have other things that are on their plates. But, uh, but being, um, back to the, the focus of what I'm trying to say, you can't grow in your work in Christ. You can't grow in discipleship if you don't have someone who is discipling you. So, Key things I want us to take out of this Bible study, that you realize that communion or community is important to grow in discipleship. And number two is that you need a discipler. Everybody needs a discipler. So everyone who doesn't have a discipler, hopefully by the time this Bible study is ended, you're praying and asking the Holy Spirit. And in the next week or two, you're actively making a commitment to say, I am going to find somebody to disciple me as led by the Holy Spirit. Proverbs 11 verse 14 um, says, when there is no counsel, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. One of the things that the discipler helps to do by the help of the Holy Spirit is to advise, uh, to counsel. They can rebuke you also from a place of love. Um, a discipler is someone that gives information and encouragement. They have a listening ear. They have advice. Um, they can give accountability. And think about all through the Bible. The Bible is filled with people in a discipling relationship. Think about Abraham and Isaac. Think about Elijah and Elisha. Think about Moses and Joshua. Think about uh, Paul and Timothy. That's one of the, probably my favorite one. Uh, think about Jacob and Joseph even, right? So all these examples of people who you can see that they developed spiritual maturity because they had a discipler. So a discipler will also help in establishing and achieving goals um, okay, so let me ask a quick question before I move on. Um, is there anyone who has struggled in a disciple-discipley relationship or anybody who is hesitant about finding a discipler to help them grow in discipleship? And if yes, why? It doesn't have to, well, you don't have to share your personal experience if you don't want to. You can say, so a friend, and that's okay too. That, that's, that's what we do now. Or you want to talk about yourself, but you don't want to, you don't want to share, your, you don't want to feel like you're sharing too much. So you say a friend of mine or a cousin of mine, that's totally okay too. But I want to get some thoughts. Um, why is it that everybody, like, we, we, I don't think anybody doubts the benefits of having a discipler. So why is it that everyone is not being discipled by someone? What's, what's, the, what's the resistance? What's the hindrance? What's, what's stopping us? Is it that we don't want to be vulnerable? Is it that I, I need some answers? I want to hear some thoughts. So what are some of the things that you feel it's, it's, it's hindering people from being discipled? Okay. Um, basically, we, um, people are afraid People are afraid, okay. They need to make the new steps. Sorry, I didn't hear the last part. They're afraid They're for... Afraid to make it steps. To, to make some steps, to make mistakes, to make new steps. Okay, yeah. Yeah, disciple... I mean, the process of 
committing yourself to someone to disciple you definitely requires a lot of vulnerability. So a lot of people are not really wanting yet to open or to share that part of their lives with other people, I guess. Okay, so Sister Cassandra, what think, else do you think? I think some people might be um, hesitant to reach out for to get a discipler because they may think that the person might be too busy mm-hmm. or may not be able to give them as much attention. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think that, or maybe even if they try to do it mm-hmm. and they notice that, okay, this person really, like, they have too much on their plate yeah. and they don't, they, they're not able to make enough time for me. Yeah. So that might be something that hinders them from reaching out to, to that person again or to okay. even reach out in general to anybody. Yeah, yeah. Thanks sis, for sharing that. And, and I mean, that's not uncommon, but that's not something that should stop or hinder anyone. I mean, the, the discipleship literally is a lifelong journey. So they might have a season where at some point in time, they're not able to devote as much time to you as they, but if you know their heart is in the right place, they committed to that. Um, definitely at some point, I'm sure usually the person will get back to you and put you and have like a structured program or a plan to which they commit to discipling you as a spirit leads. But also that shouldn't stop you from even reaching out to other people. Um, people have different disciplers for different seasons, you know. At this stage in your life is this person. At this stage in your life is this other person. And multiple disciplers are welcome. There is no cheating in discipleship, right? You don't feel like you're, because you have disciple here and disciple here and they're friends. You don't want them to know about it and talk to each other. That's totally okay in the kingdom of God when it comes to discipleship, not in marriage. Um, someone, so yes, my sister here said some, I think, does someone have the mic by, oh, yeah, okay, no, my sister here, raise her hand. Um, for me, I think it's two things. Number one is the actual commitment, like you yeah. said, to discipleship. Yeah. A lot of us are not really. You know, <laughs> <laughs> We're not ready yet. Like, uh, like when you talk to someone, you're like, yeah, yeah, let's do it. And now they start calling you for Bible study. Let's pray. Let's do it. You're like, oh. You're like, uh, this what it entails? No. Yes, yeah, so it'll be much. And <laughs> so it's really getting to that point. Yeah. Now, okay. Yeah. Decide. And then the other thing is, when maybe you decide that, okay, you want to have a discipler, mm-hmm. and you start to get to know the discipler, and you obviously start to observe them and their weaknesses as well. Mm-hmm. And now you're not yeah. sure, is this person right to disciple me? Mm-hmm. You know, like, and then you're like, maybe I should just go on my own because <laughs> you start seeing the person's issues as well. So yeah. I think... Um, yeah, yeah. Well, that's a, that's an interesting. The third one you said is interesting. So when you you're, um, you begin to see your disciples' flaws, right? But I think um, understanding or knowing that a disciple is not supposed to be perfect. Nobody is. Only Jesus is. So it's not necessarily you're not looking for a disciple who is. Jesus, Jesus, you already have the Holy Spirit who is doing that, who, who is perfect. You're looking for someone who will walk the journey physically on this earth with you. And I know the vulnerability, I feel like it's scary for a lot of people, but the reward is definitely worth it. Um, and, but like we said in the beginning, before you get to any of the steps, you have to make the commitment to say, I need to grow in discipleship. And when you have the commitment, part of what the discipler is doing, so you're saying, oh, but we're praying on the phone twice in a week already. Why do you want to add a third week? I mean, if it's needed for your growth, maybe you're struggling in your prayer life at that time. Part of your disciples' role is to encourage you and cheer you on, even though you don't physically feel like doing it. And that's how you grow. Well, thanks for sharing. Um, we're going to move on in the interest of time. It's already 8.16. Um, I, so... 
the sixth thing I have here is disciples someone else, right? Okay, yes, so I will get to that in a second. Okay, so is disciple the same as a mentor? And what are the, exam- what are the examples of things that disciples and disciples should do? Um, Brother Javier says, people are hindered due to their doubt they will have in their discipler and their knowledge of the word. A discipler perhaps should have scripture already available so that to minimize doubt. That sort of links to the last thing what you're saying. I'll come to Brother Javier's comment in a second. Uh, but I'll answer Tommy's question. So a discipler is similar to a Christian mentor, but it's not the same. So think about what mentorship is. So mentorship is someone who is guiding you towards a certain path usually a path that they have walked before so that you can follow along that same path or similar, right? So I'm a medical professional now, right? So in my field of work, I have a career mentor, right? Because when I was a medical student, right, there were people who were already practicing in the field that I know that they could show me the tricks, they could give me advice, they could give me words of wisdom um, in that field so that I could have almost an easier path or not make the same mistakes or give connections or whatever the case may be. So Christian mentorship is similar to discipleship, but discipler, you, the, the word, when you talk about a disciple, when you use that term discipler, it puts the focus on the person walking that journey with you or entering relationship with you to become more and more like Christ, right? So spiritual mentorship sometimes is used synonymously with discipleship or having a discipler, but the focus on having a discipler is is someone walking life's journey with you to help you mature or growing to be more like Christ. And meanwhile, mentorship can come in different, but like your mentor can be your financial mentor, career mentor, it could be a mentor for business, it could be a mentor for investment or mentor in whatever case may be. Or a mentor can cover other aspects of life with you that, is not, that has nothing to do with discipleship. So that's, that's sort of the, the big difference. Um, examples of things that disciples and disciples do. So every case is different. I think one part, when people um, come to me and ask me to disciple them, one of the first things I do is sit down with them, right? So other than the part where you pray, spend time in prayer, and ask the Holy Spirit, but you speak down, sit down with them and set goals, right? You say, so from this relationship, what are some of the things that we feel like we need to walk on? Some of the things in your life that you think you need to grow? Or how can I help you? Or how can me being in a relationship with you help you grow in what areas? What areas have you identified or people identified that you need to grow in? Is it accountability? Is it your prayer life? Is it studying the scripture? Is it fellowship with God? And you set goals with them. Um, Some people pray together. Some people read and study books together. Some people attend conferences together. Some people meet frequently and catch up with what's going on with issues and and they offer advice, counsel, wisdom, things like that. But there is no no set book. It it depends on the individual discipler and disciple relation. Discipler and the person being discipled relationship. There you go. Okay. It might be to talk as fast as I can because time is up. I'm like twisting my words. And lastly, to Brother Javier's point, um, uh, people have been hindered due to their doubt and their disciple and the knowledge of the word. So like, um, like I said, and also this brings me to my next point. So to be a discipler, you don't have to be perfect, right? You're actually acknowledging your imperfections, actually, 
in the person to the person that you are discipling. And that would actually even help you disciple them better when you say, listen, I have made this kind of mistakes. I'm still struggling in my work with this, but this is what I'm doing. A disciple doesn't have to have all the answers either, but they should be able to say, hey, I don't have the answer about this. Let me pray about this and see if the Holy Spirit tells me. Or let me talk to somebody who also disciples me and let me see if I can get back to you on this. But the main characteristics or traits a disciple should have is ideally you're picking a disciple who is more spiritually mature than you are. So that's the basic foundation. So the person is not perfect, but they're able to help you grow in your spiritual journey to be more and more like Christ. So um, by, Brother Javier, by being, um, <laughs> by being more spiritual mature than you, ideally they should have some, at least a better knowledge of the word than you do to be able to um, disciple you. So your comment is funny, but also well noted. Thank you for that contribution. Um, so time is far spent. I will just run through the last three. So the best way to... Um, to, to learn is to teach someone else, to involve your, your, to share your life with someone else. So every disciple, you must have other disciplers. Every disciple must have someone there, they're discipling. Disciples develop other disciples. And that's the nature of the Christian walk we're called to. I have a scripture in Titus 2, verse 2 to 8, that I wouldn't read for um, the sake of time. But basically, Paul is basically outlining um, the order or the flow that he thinks should be in the church. He's saying, teach the younger women this, and then teach the older women this, and teach the, the men this. And so he's saying everybody basically should be teaching somebody. At whatever level you are, you know something, right? There's something that you have known from God. There's something you've experienced from God that somebody would definitely benefit from. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to have all the Bible knowledge in the world. You don't have to have ministry experience. You don't have to have a particular personality. All you have to do is, have to have is a willing heart, humility, and the desire to pass on to someone else the things that God has taught you, no matter where you think you are in your walk with God. Um, I'll share this really quickly as we wrap up. So in, in college, um, one of the jobs that I had was basically to tutor college athletes. And it was interesting um, that he found me for the job because I, the athletes I was, I was tutoring were people in the same class as I was, right? So basically, the, they reached out to the people who had the highest grades in the class after the first exam period and then hired them to coach the athletes because athletes had to have a certain GPA to continue. But that worked perfectly for me. Why? Because I'm studying. I just, because I'm studying because I am teaching someone at the same time. And at the same time, I'm being paid to basically pass, right? So, and what I found out that in, and that was, I guess, the beginning of, but anybody who's a teacher can give similar stories or examples that the, the, when you prepare to teach something or to pass something on or to tell someone about something, that's when you have more knowledge of that information yourself. You digest it, you study it, you chew it because you're teaching someone else. So discipling someone else is not only because Jesus commanded us to in the Great Commission, Matthew 18, even for selfish reasons, you grow as a disciple when you disciple someone else. It's a command from God, but it's also a requirement also for um, growth and discipleship. Okay, so the last two, um, we'll just go through. Um, actively participate in God's agenda, which is a great commission, Matthew 28, verse 18 to 19. Um, disciples 
participate in God's mission of reconciliation and restoration and to share the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Um, the last one is use your gifts or your talents. So um, this is a practical way where God teaches you to be more Christ-like. Um, we become less self-centered. A disciple cares about others and giving of themselves. It's a pattern by which we grow. And so God will help us in Jesus' name. Um, so action items um, at the end of this Bible study, please um, write it down on your notes on your phone. If you need to write it on a paper and take, put it in your mirror or put it in your bedroom where you see it, but please take this home with you and actually make it an active action item. I have two and I would add one more to it. So one is make a commitment to find someone to disciple you and disciple someone. So if you do not take much out of this Bible study, take this away from, say, I am going to find someone to disciple me and I am going to make a commitment to disciple someone. So two things, and pray about it, um, spend some time, ask the Holy Spirit to lead you to, do, to those people. Um, some people will be, as a result of this Bible study, you find out some people will approach you to disciple them. Please don't shut them down. Don't turn them away. Um, invite them into relationship with you to, to become more and more like Christ. And the, the, the third thing I want to add is make a commitment to be involved in a small group or a small community where you guys can grow and be accountable to one another. And God will help us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So have you been blessed? I hope you have been. Yeah. <laughs> um, I know I rushed through the last part. Um, and thank you, PJ, for picking back and told me and answering that question. Yes, uh, disciple involves a little bit more than mentoring. Um, mentors don't necessarily teach, instruct, and correct. Okay. So thank you. Thank you, everyone. Um, so this is the end of the seven-part series in rediscovering discipleship. But as we've talked about already, discipleship doesn't end here, right? <laughs> Everyone still has to make a commitment to continue and continually grow. Um, in Agape House of Worship, we have different avenues or tools to help you even your walk with Christ. If you feel like you're not sure um, where, what avenue or tool will be useful to you, you're not sure what next step to take, um, please find any of the ministers, any of the ministry leaders. They can point you in the right direction. If you're watching online now or much later on, please email info at agapehousenj.org and somebody will reach out to you and point you in the right direction. Okay.